I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Callum here with a quick message from our wonderful, wonderful sponsor. Your home away from home is waiting for you at each of the resident hotels in London and Liverpool. You can enjoy excellent rooms in exceptional locations with heartfelt hospitality. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident, thoughtfully chosen destinations within thriving cities. The Resident offers relaxed enclaves from which you can venture out to experience the city your way with The Resident's insider knowledge. Speaking of insider knowledge, Whitehall Sources starts now. While I understand calls for a ceasefire at this stage, I do not believe that it is the correct position now. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Wednesday, the 1st of November. I'm Callum MacDonald and here's Kirsty Buchanan, who was Special Advisor to Prime Minister Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you. Welcome back to a second episode in your podcast feed this week. Basically, we decided there's a couple of big issues floating around that deserve time, attention and analysis, which is what you always get from Whitehall sources anyway. But because of that, we've got two episodes for you. So if you've not heard yesterday's, that was reflecting on Dominic Cummings and Lee Kane at the COVID inquiry, two people who were really at the heart of government during the pandemic. We also had Alex Thomas with us from the Institute for Government. So you can scroll back in your feed and have a little listen to that as we reflect on what we learned and perhaps what we didn't learn, um, what went well, what didn't go well, what worked, what was dysfunctional. All of that in the previous episode. On today's episode, we're considering the Labour Party's response to the conflict in the Middle East after Sir Keir Starmer's big set piece speech earlier this week. To try to put the issue to bed, really, a lot of it is now based on conversations on ceasefire or humanitarian pause. So that's what we're discussing on today's episode. 
as Sir Keir Starmer and the Labour Party have responded to the conflict in the Middle East. Um, he had to deny this week that the conflict is, quote, tearing Labour apart. This has largely become about the language now being used by Sir Keir Starmer after a couple of weeks of real difficulty. Uh, with us to discuss in a bit more detail is Max Wilson, now of White House Communications, but previously uh, of the Labour Party. Max spent five years working for the Labour Party uh, as head of campaigns for the Parliamentary Labour Party's Political Services Unit, and also as a senior political advisor in the Leader of the Opposition's office. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you there. I, I suppose, first of all, just as a kind of broad starting off point, has Sir Keir Starmer finally put this to bed? Has he, has he found a position that he can hold on to, be proud of, and not worry about? I think it's probably a holding position for now. I don't think he's out of the woods yet. I think that um, the speech was actually, it was really good, really clever actually in, in what he chose to communicate and where he chose to focus his speech on. I think by kind of transitioning away from the current uh, climate and the current war that's going on and more focusing on the general ambition for a two-state solution, I think that's something that, frankly, everybody should be able to get behind, uh, certainly in the Labour Party. So I think that's quite a unifying position. It almost sidestepped the immediate issue. So I think that was a, a good move. Um, whether mm. this holds, I think that um, I think there are two two main issues he's got. One is that all MPs are in their constituencies at the moment. So rather than being in Westminster, where he can probably would have a better chance of keeping a lid on it, um, all of his MPs are going to be getting a lot of pressure from their constituents, from their local party members. And I think that that is something that's going to be building for at least another week, because what the King's speech is still a week away before they're back in Westminster. So that is um, a risk for him. And the other risk is uh, the war itself. Um, obviously, Starmer has got absolutely no control about what's going to be going on um, in Israel, mm. when, if Israel is going to be going into um, Gaza and starting the ground offensive. And I think that those are the events that Starmer is going to have to react to. And that in itself um, creates all sorts of question marks. Um, and I think there's no way that he can be certain about um, whether he's going to have to adapt his position further um, on the back of, of what happens actually in Gaza. I wonder if, if what he did quite skillfully was present some empathetic nuance, if I can put it like that, because a couple of the lines from his speech stood out to me. He said he understands calls for a ceasefire, but he didn't believe it was the correct position to take. Um, he then explained it. And I think that's the important, that's what people are looking for in these situations, isn't it? Is explanation to understand why somebody is taking a particular view. He said, a ceasefire always freezes any conflict in the state where it currently lies that would leave Hamas with the infrastructure and the capabilities to carry out the sort of attack we saw on the 7th of October. What do you make of that, Max? Am I, am I, is that a fair kind of thing to say, empathetic nuances? That, does that capture yeah, it? Yeah, I do. I do think. I think he demonstrated empathy not only for the Palestinian cause, but also for Labour MPs and their their own personal positions. Um, I'm, I also think that the choice of going for a speech was a good one as well. I'm not usually a big fan of speeches as um, mass political communications. I think that they're often overrated, frankly, and it's much easier to communicate with the electorate um, through other means. But I think on this particular occasion, the speech was the right one because it gave him the platform, the opportunity to speak at length about what he wants to say. And as you say, Callum, to actually explain his position in greater detail without necessarily... Um, you know, having having an aggressive interviewer interrupt him 
him every two minutes. He actually mm. got to explain exactly where he stands for, the reason why he came to that position, why he wants to maintain that position and why he wants to take the Labour Party with him. Yeah. Kirsty, there's a chance that with all of that in mind, you know, a speech with nuance and detail and explanation and a speech that he looked quite prime ministerial. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that was furthest from his mind at the moment. I think Max is right. I think he's trying to create some breathing space. Uh, he's been under quite a lot of sustained pressure from uh, within his own party. Uh, and I also think, you know, some long form version of content where you can't be challenged uh, is a useful way forward on it. And I think one of the problems that we are increasingly seeing in this debate, both on our streets um uh, and in our, you know, and in parts of our media, is as everything else in life that is contested, uh, is falling into kind of a binary position. You know, you're either, you know, all for the Palestinian people, uh, or you're all for Israel. Now, the realities of this for Keir Starmer and for all of us uh, are a good deal more complex than that. And actually, a speech enables you to. To, to flush that out. I mean, look on a on a on a simply human level, everybody wants a ceasefire. I mean, what we're seeing is horrific uh, and heartbreaking in equal measure. So, but but we're we're talking about the realities on the ground and politics here. Uh, Hamas don't want a ceasefire. They don't want a two state solution. They don't want peace with Israel, uh, and Israel right now doesn't want a ceasefire either. So. Uh, you know, you need to have a position that has a basis in trying to be able to maintain some leverage uh, and, you know, maintain that position of critical friend. And in the background and off camera, if you like, there is clearly a lot of pressure being put on Israel to give some ground. I think there's 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 hopes this morning um, that, you know, the Rafa crossing uh, might be open to allowing foreign nationals out, to allowing more aid in. Um, potentially, some of the uh, some of the injured people might be taken out. I would like, obviously, that to be expanded to getting all of the children out. I mean, what we've seen in previous bombing situations, you know, you know, kinder transport evacuating uh, children in the Second World War out of London, you know, and I'm sure these conversations are going on in the background, you know, but it is not. Uh, helpful, I don't think, for either the Prime Minister or the Leader of the Opposition who wants to govern right now to absent themselves from the role of critical friend, which gives them the leverage they have to uh, encourage Israel to give ground. You know, the easiest thing in the world right now would be to call for a ceasefire. I would love to see a ceasefire, but I don't, you know, I'm not in a position of having to navigate a complicated political uh, situation with the best outcome you can, given the horrors of what we've seen from Hamas uh, and the heartbreaking scenes that we see from Gaza. Yeah. Max, what is your perception or understanding of how fundamentally this has split the Labour Party? How much of an internal issue has this become? I think it's undeniably a big, a big issue. I think it's um, it's, it's possibly it's, it's growing as well. And as I said earlier, I think that um, largely Starmer is at the mercy of events. Um, but I also think it's a little bit 
overstated. Um, I think that the vast majority of the Labour MPs that have been calling for a ceasefire are on the back benches. Um, so it's not there isn't a huge amount where it's a, it's, it's a threat to collective responsibility. There's been, I think, what a, a dozen or so MPs that have in some way called for a ceasefire. But even when they're doing that, from what I understand, most of them have been doing it from they're retweeting um, somebody else saying that they're calling for a ceasefire. So it's more of a general sort of hope for a ceasefire. Um, it's also, and it's not like they're calling for Starmer to change his position, at least publicly. They're actually just calling for a ceasefire generally. So I do think this is slightly overstated. I think that the speech yesterday will have helped to dampen that because I think that I think. Possibly some of the front benches are maybe testing the water a little bit, seeing what they can get away with, with saying, um, with calling for this. So hopefully um, yesterday's speech will have helped to um, dampen that. But also what was Starmer also sort of hinted that he was in listening mode and that he was open to other people expressing their view. I think he would have been hoping for them to be doing it privately rather than publicly and then testing the water like this. But um, I think, I think we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that develops in the coming days and weeks. Um, Max, I'm just interested in your um, position on this issue around collective uh, responsibility. Now uh, for people that are, uh, not au fait with the concept. You know, if you are in the shadow cabinet, shadow, shadow minister or in the cabinet, you have to publicly agree with the position that, uh, you know, the shadow cabinet is taking. Um, now, I've heard uh, a lot of media pressure on, you know, sh- should Starmer sack uh, these people that have, you know, that clearly straying away. Um, uh, I mean, there's there's a flip side to this, which, you know, has echoes of, you know, Corbyn. If you don't like the position, you are free to resign your position. You know, if you don't like the position, the policy position that your yeah. uh, leader has taken, you are free to to uh, to resign your your position within the shadow cabinet. Do you expect a lot of that to happen? Uh, and uh, just another one. Uh, I was struck by the word now. Uh, in terms yeah. of uh, yeah. Keir Starmer's speech, uh, he's he, he's laid down the fact that this is the position. You know, they support a humanitarian pause for now. That now is a very mm. interesting addition. Uh, yeah. Do you think that was wise, or do you think he should have just stated his position and you know fallen back if and when he had to? I think it was. I think he had to do that because to find some sort of compromise middling position whereby everyone can get behind. This is a party management issue for Starmer. Um, he needs to make sure that he's able to create, uh, maintain a functional um, shadow cabinet. And really, by, by shadow cabinet, I don't. I really mean beyond just the the twenty five people that meet on a. Uh, Tuesday morning. I'm really mean about the the front benches that make it because, frankly, um, thanks to uh, his predecessor, um, there actually aren't that many Labour MPs at the moment. So actually, maintaining a, a credible front bench is actually um, tricky. Also, with the numbers of front benches that have now, well, tested the water, as I said about um, uh, hinting at um, calling for a ceasefire, it means that it is quite a sizable. Um, constituency. I I know that there are more that want to be doing this as well. Um, So I think that what they were doing, they were, these these front benches were look were watching the speech and looking to see um, what this sort of compromise position was. Now, I am I am somebody who is very much in favour of um, collective responsibility. Usually, I think that it's vital if you want to be a credible government and waiting to demonstrate to the country that um, we are capable of making collective decisions together. I also think, believe in that old political cliche that 
the, the voters don't vote for um, disunited parties. Um, and I think that's something that um, Starmer's got in his uh, pocket at the moment, that Labour does look um, very united compared with the Conservatives. And then only where there are divisions, it is with the far left of the Labour Party. And that's actually helpful for Labour's um, electoral um, prospects. Um, now, when it comes to the now um, question, Kirsty, I think that was really interesting. So I think that provided further wiggle room for Starmer to alter his position later on. Now, I don't think he should alter his position. Um, I hope that he doesn't. I hope that he maintains this strength because what you were saying earlier, I agree with. Um, I think that I personally believe that that Israel does need doesn't have the right to defend itself. I think that Israel does need to. Uh, I think it's reasonable for Israel to go in and dismantle the Hamas infrastructure to ensure that it's able to protect its citizens in the future. So I believe in all that, and I think that I think morally, it's right that Starmer is supporting that and i think politically it's right as well that demonstrated to the country that they that they stand with um states that will combat terrorism um but i think that the for now part does create a little bit of wiggle room so that if and when circumstances do change in gaza and the political wind does alter as well then i'm talking internationally i'm talking geopolitically um then it does leave summer with the option of being able to to adopt a slightly different position i mean i think that if and when israel does go into gaza there is inevitably going to be some catastrophic um, humanitarian crisis and civilians dying and that is going to be absolutely awful um, and I think that if and when that does happen then I think that we may see um, geopolitically um, world leaders calling for that ceasefire and then I think at that point it might be that Starmer might choose to row behind that. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, hello. Well, you thought you'd got rid of me, didn't you? Well, here I am in the break as well. You are welcome. Here at Whitehall Sources, we are always enthusiastic about rigorous journalism. So we have been tapping up our very special sources to find out more about The Resident, which says it has excellent rooms in exceptional locations, providing heartfelt hospitality. I'm pleased to say their story checks out, actually. Here's one of our sources, Bossman56, who says, Just spent three days at the resident Covent Garden. Room was excellent, so were the staff. 
The room and the hotel clean and tidy. Staff were friendly and very efficient. We'll be going back soon. And in the interest of double sourcing, it's just what we have to do as rigorous journalists. How about this from Gufton, which I assume must be a code name. The best hotel I've stayed at in London. The customer service was unsurpassed from the moment I walked in the door. It actually all makes us very proud to be supported by The Resident on Whitehall Sources. And you can join The Resident online. Go to residenthotels.com. And if you all do that, they'll actually just be very pleased with us. So go to residenthotels.com. Thank you. intrigued also by, I suppose that the other high-profile Labour figures, I guess, and I, I'm, I'm talking about Sadiq Khan, uh, the Mayor of London, Andy Burnham, the Mayor of Greater Manchester, and the Scottish Labour leader, Anna Sarwar, who were arguably, are arguably the highest-profile uh, Labour figures to split from the official party line by backing a full ceasefire. Now, I think what's interesting about this, Max, is to whom are they speaking and with what impact? So is it about their, in, a, in inverted commas, domestic audiences, i.e. the people of London, the people of Manchester, the people of Scotland? Is that who they are talking to? And therefore, there is not that much of a split to talk about here. Or are they trying to do something about profile? I mean, the obvious criticism of all three, in many ways, is is it for them to have a to have a take on this? Is it for them to speak out about it? Is it for them to you know make such waves by diverging from the official party line? What do you make of the kind of high profile nature of these devolved uh, Labour leaders? I think it's the former, Callum. I think it's about individual mandates. Um, Sadiq Khan, for example, has got an election coming up next year. I think he needs, he's got very much his eye on the prize on that. Um, I think if he weren't to call out for ceasefire, I think that he would be facing his own personal political backlash. I think it's a little bit unhelpful, should we say, um, that he's choosing mm. to put his own personal um, electoral challenge ahead of um, what, what Starmer and the leader of the opposition's office are going through. But that's politics. Um, he's got to look yeah. after his own um, mandate. Um, and I think that it's also about with Anna Sawa, there's there's a different um, there's a different political challenge there in that for historically Labour in Scotland has been seen as just following what's going on in London, whereas actually um, the Scottish Labour Party needs to demonstrate that it's its own party, that it doesn't just do what Starmer tells us, that it, that it can, can stand up for itself and make its own decisions. Plus... The SNP have taken a really strong position being in favour of a ceasefire. And so I think that um, in individual constituencies in England, I don't think there is a real threat for sitting incumbent Labour MPs. Um, with When it comes to target seats in Scotland, I think that's a slightly different issue. And I think that there is probably a bit of an electoral threat. So I understand where Anna Sarwar is coming from. But I also kind of think that a lot of this whole discussion is frankly a little bit silly and a little bit gesture politics because Sadiq Khan, Andy Burnham, they are not in charge of foreign policy. Um, mm. Keir Starmer, as much as I would wish it to be, is not in charge of UK foreign policy, less of all um, Israeli security policy. So the, the idea that everybody is piling in on Starmer and pushing for him to change his position when he is currently in no place to do so is just... I think, silly gesture politics, when actually the focus should be on if they if anybody is going to be pushing for any change of position, surely it should be on the UK government itself. There is a wider kind of focus issue here. Um, you know, we're going around and around on the same, you know, uh, semantic point about 
you know, when is a humanitarian pause, not a ceasefire, et cetera, et cetera. Well, look, the reality yeah. is Israel is not, you know, in a mood to agree to a ceasefire. Hamas will never agree to a ceasefire. It is it is self-evidently and avowedly uh, there to uh, to advance the entire destruction of Israel. Um, so it is, you know, in a wider sense, it's a, it's a moot point, really. And I think, you know... What, I, what I'm struggling with in terms of the focus from a domestic point of view on this and this kind of internal battle on, on, on labour that's, that's coming from the outside as well as from the inside is actually where is the pressure on, you know, Egypt to take, uh, you know, child refugees? Where is the position, you know, pressure on the United Nations and the, you know, and, and the Arab, you know, the Gulf states to have a plan? <laughs> you know, okay, we all yeah. agree that this is terrible. We all agree that we want to get innocent Gazans to safety. What is your plan for that? Uh, and I am struggling in why this domestic, you know, why we've become so kind of domestically focused on this rather than actually saying, well, we have an international community not just to lecture other people about what they should and shouldn't do. Actually, you know, come up with a solution. Yeah. I've got um, some polling from YouGov from yesterday as well, just to sort of, you know, add, a, add an extra little dynamic into this. Among 2019 Labour voters, Keir Starmer is more likely to be trusted on Israel-Palestine than Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, more likely to be trusted 49% to Corbyn's 41%. Um, it should be noted, say YouGov, the number who trust Corbyn a lot is the category. A lot is higher, 22% to 15%. But the number who tr- do not trust him at all is also higher than for Starmer, 23% to 14%. And so that's that's perhaps just, it's an interesting kind of uh, sidebar, I suppose, postscript to this in some ways, Max. But then the other thing, uh, at the risk of kind of, um, you know, us political nerds enjoy chewing these things over, YouGov also suggests that 7% of Britons have paid a lot of attention to Keir Starmer uh, and his stance on Israel-Palestine. 68% have paid little to none. And that's quite an interesting one as well, actually, just given all we've spoken about, isn't it? That, that actually, will does this become... Uh, a defining electoral issue for Keir Starmer in approximately a year's time. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, what do I think about that? Um, I, th- I think that the political challenge for Starmer, far more than anything else in terms of party management, internal Labour politics, what we've been discussing so far, the real political challenge as far as what's going on right now and what that means for the next general election is ensuring that Starmer is projecting that Labour has changed from Corbyn. Corbyn years. Um, he has done an excellent job of presenting that and framing that over the last couple of years. And but there but I think that this what we're discussing today demonstrates the real risk of how easy it might be to backslide. So I think that Stummer's probably got his eye on the prize that for as as much as this is um a, a serious political challenge for him, it is a party managed challenge, it's a public facing challenge for him as well. But the bigger the bigger challenge is surely um, making sure that Labour is in a position to win a majority at the next general election. And key to that is ensuring that the electorate understand that the Labour Party has changed, that um, the Labour Party puts national security front and centre of its plans for government, and that Keir Starmer is a strong leader. And I think that will be the biggest um, uh, factor when it comes to Starmer's policy and uh, on this yeah i mean i think i think max is right on this i think there's uh you know there is an interesting point here about you know a, a historical counterfactual imagine if the labor party was still being run by 
a man for whom this is a binary issue <laughs> as opposed to a complicated one um where sympathies are you know are in equal measure for uh israelis the israeli hostages a nation that was subjected to a barbarous and horrific terror attack as they are with uh terrified desperate innocent palestinians um so so there is that point uh, i think it's also important to for Keir Starmer, for all politicians, to, to to be mindful of you know the fact that for not every constituency and for not every constituent is this a defining moment. You know, I think there is quite a lot of uh, you know. Look, in some constituencies, it's going to be you know potentially a problem. But I've been struck by a couple of uh, you know MPs that I've spoken to this week. You know, trying to get a temperature check, and they are representatives of of town constituencies we say rather than you know urban constituencies rather than city places uh, and they said look honestly you know they're not you know their primary focus is still on cost of living you know and on the economy um and that they're not you know i mean it's it's hard to see this when you see the media and when you see you know what's happening on the streets of glasgow and manchester and and london etc but you know they are not that exercised about what is happening in the Middle East. They are far more worried about what is happening to their economy and what is happening in terms of the cost of living crisis. So I, I think it's also important not to overstate the impact that this will have. You know, it's very much a kind of constituency to constituency, which is you know presumably a large factor of why Paul Bristow, um, uh, you know. Uh, had to do what he had to do because he has a constituency with a significant Muslim population. I'm not saying that it doesn't chime with his own moral views too, but, you know, for some MPs, this is more of a problem than for others. Let's let's put it that way, bluntly. Yeah. yeah. And I think also, I think Labour, well, I, I can't really speak for the Conservatives, but certainly Labour have a tendency to be really insular, really real navel-gazing when it comes to certain issues um, and really get caught up in, in things and not actually take a step back and think, actually, as, as Chris says, um, the vast majority of the, the British public, um, if they are aware, I'm sure they are aware of what's going on in Gaza, but they are aware of it as a humanitarian problem, as a geopolitical problem, not as a, I don't think they really care that much about where the Labour Party position is on this. I don't think that really comes into the thinking of the average British voter at the moment. Um, and I think probably Labour need to remember that. Yeah, it's a very good point. And Max, thank you very much. Really, really good to have you on. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thanks a lot for having me.